G'day and welcome back to the Voice of a Veteran podcast. This one will be released on Friday the 14th of May. And if you haven't been listening to all of our episodes, you can catch every single one via our website, voiceofaveteran.org slash podcast. Also, please make sure you get on there and give us a review. The more reviews you give us, good ones I hope, the better we search up in the good old algorithms and help get these good words and messages out to as many people as possible. For those who haven't been following along, the Voice of a Veteran podcast is designed to support all in their mental health journeys with more focus on mental fitness, having more of these conversations. And back through our archives, there have been some really great podcasts from a whole bunch of different people talking about transitions in life, their their understanding and uh, relationships with mental health issues, suicide, everything through to mindset, motivation, high and elite performance. So listen in and hope you enjoy this episode. Well, g'day and welcome back. And I am here with the wizard behind the curtain, Miss Sam Asser. Sam, welcome back. Hello. Uh, It's great to have you on. And you wanted me to jump on here because apparently we have some questions that people have been sending through. Questions. And I also wanted to say, for those who didn't listen to the last episode, we talked about Anzac Day Reflections and then pivoted into a bit of a vulnerable journey from where you're at currently. Yes. And then we had an abrupt ending. So I wanted to say thank you for your vulnerability in that episode because the feedback that we get from people saying how much it helps them with you just being your authentic self and wearing your heart on the sleeve the way that you do. And I know it's hard to, to do that in, in the public eye like you do. So I want to say appreciate your vulnerability and, and the way that you share. No, I appreciate that. And it's, and it's great to... Even be going back to doing that because, to be honest, you know, even along this journey, the last few months, I probably then started to, you know, perpetuate my own success or my own expectations and start to put some of those barriers back up. And sorry if you're hearing some grumbling in the background. We're we're here with Copper, who's all of a sudden decided to try and play with me as soon as we press record. So those those sound effects. Spotlight, Copper. (laughs) But yeah, you know, you put up those um, boundaries again and it's great to have them torn back down and, you know, realise still human, still have our own yeah. things to go through and keep me more grounded and more focused on purpose. Yeah, which is the whole point of mental fitness, right? Is to bring it all to the surface. Absolutely. Love it. Okay, so we do have some questions from the public, which I promised I would get them to you. And there's two questions that I've chosen because I think that they don't just help the person who's asked. They've helped. They, it'll help everyone that's listening, and or somebody else that's also listening. So, okay, I'm going to start with the lovely Elizabeth who wrote in, and she is asking about her son who is transitioning out of the military, and it's essentially all he's known. So from 17 to 25, and he's now finding himself in a transition. And he hasn't been taught anything about career, job seeking, life after defense advice. Mm. And so she's super proud of him and supporting him all the way. But she's wondering if you have any advice on his position in transitioning at his age. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, so sad that this is the commonality. And that's exactly the, the path that I've walked and far too many have walked. And the biggest part for me, and you've heard me say this a hundred times now, Sam, is you know there's that important part in recording his experience, his qualifications, getting all that done. But for the huge part is actually that mindset and appreciating and gaining confidence in not um, competencies, but his, his actual competence in those. And knowing that, you know, every veteran who has any form of experience in today's modern military is actually 
uh, an amazing multiplier and building block for culture in any organization and not this conversation of you know giving a veteran a job is the best thing for your business and for a veteran it, it's not it's giving a veteran a community is the best thing for that veteran and for any workforce and appreciating that community and that personal connection and identity to that and then purpose on top of that is what's needed and for this young man the best thing for him to realize is that he has all the skills, knowledge and attributes of an outstanding person, be that work ethic, um, teamwork, ability to task focus, ability to demonstrate initiative, communicate concise and clearly and, and, and bound to have some very great interpersonal skills and be likable as well as have the foundations of leadership. And it's just taking the time to speak with a veteran who's recently transitioned to help someone actually appreciate that in themselves. And the biggest thing for me that was that realisation over two years of failing is that not to adapt your personal ethos your own values to the new circumstances you find yourself out in society outside of defense it's actually to take those with you because they're the best parts of you and to actually hold yourself to those higher levels of accountability and values and standards that we pride in service uh, and actually be the difference outside as opposed to conforming from you know responsible to entitled from selfless to selfish it's too easy that transition um, that we find and that's my biggest recommendation is to stick true to your values take some time to observe orientate decide and act as we say in the military time but stick true to what you know because your level of training that you default to in crisis and success is much higher than we actually know and give it credit for mm, that's good and i also know that there's been a few episodes where you've talked about your own transition scotty's talked about his transition and different things that happen so the question here that i have would be why does this happen why do why do you why could he might this guy listening to this advice he might go cool this is what heston has said remember that but then there's going to be times where it might slip and you might fall onto the selfish end of the spectrum and lose yourself a little bit or don't remember your skills that you had once in military and now you don't know how to navigate them outside and apply them why does that happen and how can the how can they remember in those d- dark moments? Well, I think the, the biggest thing to realise is that uh, transitioning from defence in particular, but transitioning from anything in life usually goes through a pendulum swing, you know, from one extreme to the next, and then it's settling itself back in the middle. And too often we focus immediately on looking for a new purpose, a new something to do, which we immediately throw our identity into because we've lost that community, that culture, and our connection to that. So we sort of go for the tip of the spear first, looking for that purpose and executing, and then hopefully fill in the blanks down below. Whereas, as you know, I sort of have this new understanding of actually our need to heavily invest more on that community piece and our own identity to a new community. Because once we're surrounded by that, uh, by that daily uh, engagement, that daily mental fitness, that daily support to problem solving and personal issues and everything else, then... Once you actually gain confidence in your own identity within that community, purpose will appear left, right and centre. And particularly for all those veterans out there transitioning from defence, going through the the trap, I will call it a trap because it becomes a mental and emotional trap of you know applying for jobs online and doing all that is one of the most degrading and devaluing ways you can do. And you know nearly every single one of uh, my employment opportunities or projects or so many others and that the ones that come from true success come from conversations with people and connection with people Uh, and so many veterans out there are able to actually jump into any job or any purpose it's actually just having some confidence in your own patience to await and really identify the correct one and not just focus on things for financial 
gain, but really focus on those that are going to be sustainable to supporting your identity, your community, and appreciating that transitioning from defence is transitioning from a life, not an employment. And to expect uh, a job outside of the military to replace all of those extrinsic values and intrinsic uh, motivations that come from a life of service um, is, is unrealistic. And there's just a, a little bit of preparation beforehand and realising that you can actually take your foot off the accelerator a little bit and need to because the rest of the world outside of the defence is not geared to keep up with as fast as you can move and you're just going to get frustrated when it doesn't. What's your definition of community, Heston? Because when you say we need to build the foundation of a community in order to allow that to occur, is that different for everyone or is it like how do we find that and know that we found it? Yeah, good. You're right. Community. What is that word? Uh, I think breaking it down to the most tangible form, community is whatever your support network is. So, uh, and realising that you need to have a a different variety of individuals and organisations, whatever they are, to be that support network for you. Too often, we don't really identify our need for a community until we're in crisis. So, you know, we'll get get personal here because it's easy just to talk about the, the... the path from lived experience but for instance uh, my lowest point in my life as we all know was that end of last year and I pretty much didn't have a community that I'd identified with I'd spent the last two years putting up blocks between my former military community uh, and threw myself so heavily into uh, my new life which was the gay community which was the community I'd literally built around me building barriers here in Australia and overseas and then when I broke up with my partner Blake and I sort of lost that barriers community completely and then COVID and everything else through lockdowns and became more and more isolated from even my local community uh, and engaged more heavily with my family. But uh, you know, when you're then in those low despairing moments, I hadn't really established a support network or a community around me that I was comfortable to reach out to when I was vulnerable because then there was that like sort of pride and responsibility with the family piece. I didn't sort of have different layers and levels and resources that were my support network. And it's only since rebuilding from there that I've been able to find those different people in my life, different groups in my life, different organisations in my life that I'm comfortable sort of engaging with a different part of myself in those. Um, you know, still struggling with fully investing myself into one person or one group or all that. And that's that's fine. You would have maybe heard on a previous podcast we did with Tony Abbott, he was actually talking about the exact same thing, being able to find the right collection of people where you're able to essentially invest all elements of yourself in, in different ways and different means. So community is whatever we need to be able to feel safe, covering off on every potential topic that is within our heads and our hearts uh, and is able to do so in a way that is non-expectational, um, is non-judgmental, um, but is exactly what we need at that time. At the same time, it allows you to be vulnerable, allows you to be challenged, and at first and foremost has to allow you to literally be your true and authentic self in whatever degree you're comfortable being so. And do you feel like you've built that community now if you're out of that lowest moment? It's definitely getting back there. You know, like we're saying, particularly reconnecting with a few of my uh, old guys and key mates from my army life, uh, there's still some, you know, and that's probably actually appreciating that quality over quantity has been the biggest thing, you know, coming from that isolation, essentially decluttering your life because it's so easy to give 
too much of yourself, particularly someone like myself who's acts of service, finding those who, again, are just there to actually truly support. You know, even reconnected with one of my old um, corporals, one of my old section commanders uh, from my Townsville days. You know, we were, you know, we were Bash brothers together, and then another one of my mates from down here, and uh, moving up to Brisbane, actually reconnecting with a couple of people in the gay community that have been friends, whereas I felt really isolated from that in Sydney and. Again, not investing my identity into any of these, but just having those different parts of my identity um, catered for. And again, up here in Brizzy, surrounded by my family, and then having people like you who keep me accountable on an every daily basis. And again, we can have these very open and honest conversations. It's just building that up slowly. And again, I think that key part is focusing on quality over quantity and not doing so with that expectation of needing a support network, but just knowing and realising that, hey you know, having a support network there and identifying those people that you are comfortable covering off on these different conversation topics with is more important to be proactive and preventative as opposed to reactive and and um, when it's already too late that you need it. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to distinguish what we're talking about because in my head I think of community and I think of, well, that feels overwhelming because I need to go and find all these people and build this, yeah. you know, go and socialise a lot and but really when you talk about this, having the support network, it's like, yeah, because in my dark days, I know there is the core people that I can reach out on. And even if I'm in my like shame spiral or whatever, there's people that I know I trust, I feel safe with and that can hold that. And I think it's important to name that and say, find those people early. So yeah. you have that instead of waiting till crisis, like you say. Yeah, absolutely. Having that different variety of people that depending upon what day it is, you can just have that little engagement with and, and all, all of them are sort of those people that you can pick up the phone and have a chat to like it was yesterday that you last spoke, even if it was two or three months ago. I mean, we all have those people who are friends without expectation. Um, even when you're not actively engaged, um, they know that, that you're there and vice versa. So so important. Anything else for that question that you want to wrap up on? I know we went to different things but i think it was cool. i mean the number one things are <laughs> don't engage directly with dva get yourself an advocate <laughs> speak to uh, a recently transitioned veteran and ensure that you find ways and means to remain engaged with the veteran community um, that leaving service the biggest thing you'll miss on the outside in some degree is the ability to actually be selfless to actually lose yourself into a purpose and again that doesn't happen immediately or, or, or is an immediate requirement that's part of that sort of pendulum swing and just so many people I keep talking to, the ability to not necessarily give back but just become lost in a purpose every now and then uh, is something that we have been indoctrinated to do and is something that helps us take our minds out of our own um, pains and issues. That's part of that sort of proactive resilience we've spoken about beforehand when you're actually lost in a purpose that is layers of resilience outside of yourself. And that's really easily done, um, re-engaging and maintaining engagement with the the veteran community outside of service. Love it. Okay, yeah. next question mm -hmm. is from Jacob. Jacob. I love this question. If there was something you wish someone told you before preparing for the selection process, what would it be? Ooh, uh, good question. So I kind of, yeah, the selection process was fantastic for, again, breaking down those physical and mental layers to really expose that emotional purpose, that true intrinsic purpose. And that's what was the most fascinating for me, realising you know, no matter how much fitness and preparation, everything else went into it, it really came down to 
why you wanted to do it and just really focusing on and maintaining that reason as your core burning desire. Um, yeah, I think that the, – and that also perpetuates to what has been my lifelong so far discovery on leadership. Um, you know, we've got all these great quotes you've heard me say about, you know, an authentic voice carries its own authenticity, its own authority and things like this, but being broken down to that true emotional purpose, it's that true – authentic purpose being broken down by what truly engages and fires you to do what you want to do and the most important thing for anyone going through the selection process or contemplating it or even joining into special forces is uh, really sitting down and doing that hard and solid self-assessment of why you're doing this what makes you want to do it because when you're tired you're hungry none of your mates are there you're all alone and all these thoughts and doubts start creeping creeping into your head and as we said before you know 85 percent if not more of people on selection courses withdraw themselves from it. It's just so fascinating and amazing, just that will, your human spirit and desire and true will to be there uh, no matter what uh, is that, that purpose that will maintain people through through anything. So it's really doing that deliberate self-assessment and then putting yourself in scenarios where you can truly test that, but unfortunately that's very hard to achieve until you're actually within those testing conditions themselves. That's so interesting. Do you... Did you do any emotional training or practices or things before that? Like, what do you what do you do for that besides just get get connected to your authentic purpose and why? Yeah, no, I I didn't, and I think it just came down to like I true my true purpose was authentic, and the reasons why I wanted to do selection. I think as you've heard before on previous episodes, uh, particularly like the life on the line one and the um uh the one with our. English mate, the wasps, lead wasps. <laughs> wasps. Uh, I always wanted to be a commando ever since I first joined the military. And that's, I'd sort of nested my identity to that for the purpose of wanting to be the best I could be and really truly um, enable myself to represent my country in the very best way. And again, the key time on the selection course when I had my doubt and I literally thought about potentially removing myself off course is when one of my mates, uh, one of my NCOs that I trained up with the whole time, one of my corporals, um, wasn't there the next day, you know, and he had uh, his wife and two kids and my head again went into that space of, you know, well, he has more motivation to keep him on here. And that wasn't my realisation. He definitely had more extrinsic motivation to keep him on there and that's what made me start to doubt myself. But then I sort of thought back to my own family and the true reasons why I did this and, you know, there was that two minutes where I had... <laughs> A stretcher on my back I had an extra radio in my pack because someone else had pulled off and we'd had to carry it and I was in the locker and I had someone screaming in my face and it was the perfect storm for me to want to withdraw and I went inside my own head and I hit a few bumps as I brought emotion my emotional attachment to him as a friend you know as a very dear friend and the thought of not having him there doing it with me was that sort of emotional uh, stumble that I had that helped me sort of recalibrate and push past that. So the, the true only test of that emotional resilience can only come, you know, when it is true and relevant. And even just here and now, reflecting back on that, it's fascinating to experience that. And I don't know how you can train for that, you know. That's a, that's a very unique circumstance. Mm. It's the why, right? It's it the, is, yeah. What was, your, what was the thing that you thought about in those times of what would keep you on track? I kind of did actually have a happy place. So that Christmas, New Year's, um, 12 weeks worth of training up before the selection course, 
I remember being at home here in Brizzy with mum and my sister and my nephew and, you know, mum was feeding me all sorts of good meals and I was getting up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning to go and do pack marches and all this and I'd sort of really established this happy place in my head that was that Christmas where we were all as a family sort of on the lounge and, um, you know, I was having so much fun playing with my young nephew. I think he was like three years old at that time and it was just this really happy, wholesome family place and my desire to you know really be the best that I could be for them and also um, do what I whatever I could do to best support and protect them and that was this literally this happy place I, ha- I literally have like this visual image of myself on the couch mum took a photo once of me like post a, a workout with this giant like salad she'd made and I'm like all just deflated and <laughs> tired but uh, internally I was really motivated and my soul was quite nourished and I just sort of remember and really engage back to that feeling of being willing to put my body and mind through whatever um, and I was physically sore and all that but I felt very happy. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> um, I'm back there now anything in a happy place. <laughs> yeah. I feel it. Yeah. Thank you for that question, Jacob. That's yeah. a good one. Get connected to the why. And I guess if anyone else wants to send – how are these people sending questions yeah. through to you? so – just on that, they'll slid into the DMs. Slid into so the DMs. if you want to, if you're on Instagram or Facebook or email us, and if you want to ask Heston a question, yeah. then we'll we'll bring them to the podcast. Or you can comment. You can comment on. Can they comment on the podcast? I don't know. Uh, nah, it's easier to. It's yeah. DMs or hello at voiceofaveteran.org and yeah. Sam will Sam will catch them and say I want I want this question answered on the podcast and we'll keep, get to it. Keep it clean. <laughs> So what else is going on, Heston? What this do you, week. What, yeah, we need to talk about Voice of a Veteran this week and in and around what's been going on with the yeah. pins and all sorts of support oh we've been receiving. Oh, God, the pins. Can we never mention the pins? Look, I'll, I'll come. Well, there it is. There it is. So for everyone's awareness, we launched these Australian Veteran Support Pins uh, first of April with the plan to really get them out there. And we had so many people saying they wanted to show their support and uh, you know, up until now, Voice of the Veterans has been very self-funded. There's been some incredible people trying to make some contributions. And, you know, I set this company up so quickly. It's not a charity. It's not a not-for-profit. That's coming at the end of this financial year. So I thought I'd just quickly, you know, try and get on there and, and make a bit of money to pay for the the marketing boosting and Sam's salary. Uh, and it has been nothing but pain <laughs> from expecting things to be delivered in the two weeks when we spoke to Australia Post to look to have our timelines all sorted out to having most of the pins not delivered by Anzac Day. And I've just felt so disappointed at the amount of people we've let down uh, with what I thought was honest and open promises. And it's been incredible, however, reading and seeing a lot of the messages from our community and those people who have understood. And we've tried to be so proactive in pushing out information yeah. But Sam's been dealing and with these emails. Yeah. And I'm so sorry if I haven't got back to your email yet and you're still waiting. But we've been trying to do... Thousands, people. Thousands. thousands. But <laughs> also like bulk emails to try and get through to everyone and people are missing it. And it's not that we're... We're just doing the oh. best that we can with what we have I, I love this. <laughs> it really has exposed uh, the weakness in our organisation in that, you know, Voice of the Veteran, again, is just a, a quick company started up, an ABN to get this happening, to get the social media and website up and as opposed to putting the due diligence that I should into actually, you know, 
engaging the right business functions and thinking that I had it covered and not accepting that I actually don't have the level of business knowledge I needed to get this done. It's been great lessons learned for us. <laughs> I think it was I think it was good in terms of what we could produce in that fast amount of time. Yeah. I, you know, we didn't have any clue that it was going to take over three weeks to get delivered to someone based on postage. Like we didn't have that information and it's something that people can keep forever. You know what I mean? It's more of a, it's, it's less about what happened. It's just more of a, a hit on us. Oh, that it. we don't like letting people down. It's like both and of our core cool things. The number one thing <laughs> I was saying to Sam was all I actually wanted to do, like the key outcome from those pins campaign was to get as many people wearing them on Anzac day to show their support. Cause so many people were asking how they could do that. And that's my key frustration, but we can wear it all year round and it's sitting there on the website and now our postage system is Sam and I sitting here once a week licking stamps and putting them on envelopes and sending them out You're ourselves. Welcome, so um, <laughs> we're kidding, we're not we're not looking, no. but they're self adhesive. COVID safe. Yeah, COVID safe. Um yeah, however, like you also have been, you haven't stopped this whole time, right? And you've been doing so many other things amongst this. So it's not like we just had the capacity to sit there and just do this. It's been in the middle of some pretty epic things that you've been doing and to continue to push and campaign for all the things that you're doing in the veteran space. And so that's all self-funded by you. Yeah, I think, yeah. Well, I think the key lesson learned here is as per all these issues 101, uh, actually putting my hand up, our own hand up and asking for help. That was the sort of thing, trying to really be so self-sufficient and, you know, we've got this covered, still being so dynamic, taking on too many things at once. And as Sam knows and many people will find out shortly, that's why we've really been investing heavily. The last uh, two weeks are really engaged in a pretty heavy uh, individual and then collective planning process to plan the next phase of Voice of a Veteran now that we have this Royal Commission coming up and there's so many lessons learned, like myself and my community and the Special Forces went through with the four and a half years that was the Brereton Inquiry, where as soon as you came forward to give evidence or were asked to give evidence, you were immediately banned from talking to any others. You were isolated from your own community. There was no proactive mental health follow-up through to what we've learned from not only the Brereton Inquiry, but our entire time in Afghanistan. That's the failure to bring the Australian public or even the wider veteran community along with the, the journey and to help it keep people educated along the way as opposed to just confronted by the results at the end and all the emotion that comes with that. So we're down in Canberra for three days, did an individual appreciation process and then a staff process and then this Friday we're actually holding a, a consultation and planning conference up here in uh, Brisbane. So when Which this, will be today. When yeah, which will be today when this podcast is released and – the plan there is to go through some of that planning but and really I think we've got about 72 uh, ex-service organisations currently uh, represented to be there either in person or online and it's not uh, – it's going to be a, pr- a presentation of current findings but the plan is to actually get in there and brainstorm and wargame and pick it apart and rebuild it and make sure we're not duplicating effort and to provide an opportunity to actually focus key support – from within all of these different organisations for a specific operational purpose that is supporting veterans and their families with maximum engagement into this Royal Commission and ensure that they are supported during and ongoing and help to start to change some of the um, perceptions and narratives surrounding veterans and even what veterans hold themselves and ex-service organisations. So we're going to be recording that. We will be releasing that. But that's really the big activity um, that... Sam's been really busy behind the scenes with venues and AV and 
invitations and systems and processes and we've been doing some great engagement and we have a great uh, turnout coming up and it's going to be really important to really get that fleshed out so as we can then progress to the next phase and a key part as you know Sam in this realization has been um, focusing on what we need to do from a ground up approach because that's kind of the whole reason we've been so successful so far is being able to have the trust of the veteran and wider community from a ground up approach whereas too many others keep going for this top down approach and that's been a big part for me to have some patience and also some confidence in that's where we need to to focus what is your outcome that you hope for after friday uh more ideas better planning uh, and more of a clearer picture of next steps uh, like i said looking to turn Voice of Veteran into a new organisation and I won't talk about it too much um, pending what we're going to get through this Friday. But, you know, we've Voice of the Veteran has, has served its purpose uh, and as a part of that is the whole narrative, even within the veteran and ex-service organisations, is not simply looking to find ways to preserve organisations and preserve functions and, um, you know, justify our own relevance. You know, it's actually a requirement to be relevant and maintain relevance and adapt to the required situation. And as we said before, even starting to you know, fall into a, a few issues with just moving too fast and not having enough support around us, it's now time to, to build a team um, to do what I've been trained best to do and build teams around operational requirements and help bring in others and be inspired by others and some of those we've had come join in the planning even last week some trusted friends and allies across the veteran community who have much more experience and smarter than me in their own areas bringing that all together to then provide something that can really benefit our community and our families the way it needs to occur over this once in a lifetime opportunity that is that royal commission and then look to uh, do what i can do to force multiply that to continue to move as fast as we can and achieve some concurrent things uh, up at government and policy level through to across the ex-service organisations, the media and whatever we need to make sure that we can have the maximum effectiveness in delivering this support and achieving these outcomes that um, are, again, a part of the tremendous opportunities presented by this Royal Commission and make sure we mitigate as much of the risk that is going to be undoubtedly brought about by this emotionally triggering and potentially um, confronting experience for many but the opportunity is to bring so many of these ex-service organizations together in the delivery of that care and services and support and communication and just see where we're at at the end of this period mm. and unity is a big one here like coming together um, yeah. so it doesn't just have to be one personal company trying to do it it's like we're all having this awareness around what needs to happen and come yeah. and i think it's giving people a lot of hope and um, trust knowing that people like you are thinking about this stuff and thinking about them. Yeah, and it's been also just not focusing on, right, yeah, let's go with me, but more so, hey, like let's all talk on a level playing field because we need so many different eyes, ears and voices and actions um, looking over this and working in amongst this. And while, you know, me, I'm the worst at being patient, it's been so um, – I've been very quick to identify what can be done but now's the time to make sure to put the due diligence to make sure we can do that in the very best way with maximum engagement so it has more arms and legs and backs carrying it than um, just our small team. Yeah. 
Love it. So that's this week. Also this week, there's uh, a bit of a discussion going on. I'm giving evidence for the Honours and Awards um, Tribunal that's looking into providing um, consideration for uh, the families and veterans who've been killed or wounded uh, during their time in service. So it's quite a controversial, potentially controversial topic at the moment whereby um, it was brought up by some of the families of the fallen looking to have a killed in service or killed in action clasp applied to medals for uh, them to wear, uh, you know, on days that we wear our medals so as they can be better identified. But it's then also branched into um, potential recognition, much like the US Purple Heart, where people are recognised for being wounded uh, or injured um, during combat. And, yeah, on Wednesday I'm actually presenting live on that and people will be able to see that online. It's the Honours and Awards Appeals Tribunal. They would have not. It'll be it'll be on after this. They'll be able to see it because yeah, cool. this will be released Friday. You'll be able to go back and see it from Wednesday. But it's a potential Pandora's box because the whole thing comes down to how far do we go? And I'll say a few things on that, particularly as we progress into the future and when we start talking about being wounded in action, is might no longer be you know gunshots and shrapnel wounds. It might be radiological or other forms of exposure or attack from enemy forces. It might be all sorts of different things and. I'll be very interested to see, and I'll be talking with a panel, I think there's about eight much more uh, experienced and more eminent people than myself to really see where the conversation goes. But there's a lot of potential emotion linked to this and you're already starting to see a fair bit of activity in the veteran community and social media with a lot of people sort of attacking each other for their own opinions. So I'm uh, going into this one with a bit of anticipation and bated breath, but we'll see what happens. Do you know your take on it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've spent on and off two years in working with the US and I think the Purple Heart idea is terrible. I've seen too many people actively pursuing the potential recognition and this is this whole conversation between what are we looking for, you know, entitlement and recognition as opposed to sort of that responsibility and that selflessness that comes up for service. Um, You know, that we've lost many, many more, you know, over 10 times, nearly 15 times the number to suicide than we did in combat and there's been so many, you know, I've known guys from the helicopter crash in 2010 through to guys that were wounded on my own deployments to Afghanistan and you know none of those really been looking for recognition for being wounded I mean that's uh, when you get wounded or when you uh, are medically discharged you know that's when you go through the the process that is um, the liability compensation and and medical support processes outside of that and I'm just so I am personally probably jaded by the honours and awards systems in defence and how much it actually plays on the mindset of people, um, unfortunately, we're sort of getting to a point where people feel that their service is only recognised through uh, medals and things that are worn on a uniform. And as you would have heard me say, it's their lag indicators of experience. As soon as we start putting the true measurement of a person, even in in uh, perception, in being what medals are on their chest for those that are living, it's a different circumstances for the families of those who have lost. And I understand where they're coming from with this. I just think it opens up a very dangerous mindset where people are potentially and as is the biggest issue we talk about from transitions and issues in the in the veteran community of being devalued or comparing themselves um, through to what I've seen in the US and people actively seeking um, that medallic recognition um, you know taking extra dangerous actions on deployments to even seek potential injury um, through to you know if it does come through and the constant rounds of appeals that are going to be made by people as circumstances change in the future so look it's a big can of worms 
Uh, it's great to have these conversations, as I'll always say. It's great to have these conversations as opposed to shy away from them. I just think, particularly at the moment, the potential emotional impacts on this is going to be um, greater than what is currently needed. But, hey, that's why we have these tribunals and processes. So, wait and see. How is this same concept like linked to identity? Well, that's it. We put too much identity. I mean, let's look at the current world. You heard me say it on my Anzac Day speech. We're putting so much of our identity and our expectations of people on the superficiality of what we're sort of seeing on the surface, be that medals, be that um, differentiations in race, gender, sex, pronoun or otherwise, as opposed to, again, like I said on Anzac Day, what defines people, their character and their actions. And, you know, I saw it in Special Forces. You see people with these post-nominals, they're front and centre and all this, and I know plenty of people who don't have them but perform magnificently overseas, and I've seen the crap that has been the honours and awards system where I put up my guys for honours and awards, I need to be told that there was a quota and Special Forces was receiving too many. You know, even these guys, even though these guys had done, you know, more than uh, is expected of them and should have been expected of them and they perform magnificently and they should be recognised for that. Um, I really have become just annoyed by the honours and awards system and how much stock we're putting in it and just even myself going through some of that I just spoke about then trying to put my guys through, the amount of uh, emotional baggage it has put on me and resentment it's put on me at that. And even seeing so many people on Anzac days, you know, measure themselves by the amount of medals on their chest, you know, come up and have a conversation with their ADM, which is their four-year medal. They're just like, yo, you know, I haven't haven't done what you've done and, you know, I hope to – it's like, cool, you know. And I, again, signed up for service and was fortunate enough to have the opportunities to do all this and in order to – perform my best i made sure i was the best at my job and the best person i can be in those circumstances but some people will serve careers where they go on no deployments or they're here at home supporting COVID and bushfires or whatever but they're upholding those australian values and they're signing up for service and for people to constantly be measuring themselves uh, the value of themselves by what is something that they put on their chest and take off you know before they go to sleep like, that's ridiculous you measure yourself by what you wear every day and what you take yourself and tuck you in your sheets under bed at night as well. You know, it's that the measure of a person is internal, not external. Mm. So that reminds me of a part of the last episode we did last week. If people can go back and re-listen to the first one we did. But you talked about when it gets quiet, yeah. you spiral into those moments. Yep. Is this linked to any part of you that's... Uh, struggles with identity or even the word relevance comes up for me? Yeah, I think particularly the last, what's it been, six months now, has been so hyper and particularly cracked me out of a place where I felt so irrelevant for the first time in my life and spiralled to a place of feeling absolute hopeless, irrelevant, has now apexed through to, you know, every day I run into someone who wants to discuss what we've been talking about or just pass on how much these conversations have been helping them. And then when everything goes quiet and there's, you know, no media calling up or there's, you know, there's always DMs and emails coming through out there, Sam. <laughs> but there's less, you know, and, then, and again, that's where you really swing into action and do what you do best, but there's not really a lot that specifically only I can do. It's so easy to go into those moments of self-doubt and you're just like, you know, well, is this the next transition where uh, – and you've got to stop yourself from wanting to find something to do and actually just 
stop and relax and smell the roses and know that uh, there is plenty to be done. Uh, just need to have some patience. And again, that's the whole part of this next transition piece. You know, the last six months has been an anomaly and it has been what it's needed to be to be hyper and dynamic and rapid in its achievements. But now there needs to be much more sustained um, support and carry on and much more of a, a balance because while I've really thrown my identity into this and regained that commando identity of mine, I've really lost a lot of my other community identity and that's all sort of hot, the whole part about personally moving up here to Brizzy and re-engaging with the immediate support network and then looking to build out and strengthen that. Uh, it's time to find that appropriate balance. But if we compare like what you're talking about in terms of taking away all the medals and all the recognition and the awards and all of that and yeah. just remember why you were doing, why you signed up for service, what you were doing out there on the on you know, on the ground and what happened if you weren't getting recognised, you were still there doing that thing, right? Compare that concept to the moments where you spiral into yourself when it's yeah. quiet. Is there any line that is similar in terms of that core thing that's missing in the times that you're quiet, you know? Yeah, it's, it's you know team. The core thing that's missing is team. You know, like I always had people around me. I always had people around me and – there was never a need for any form of superficial recognition outside of the warmth, comfort and whatever else we felt within that culture. You know, there's that it, it was even unspoken. Just the ways in which you interacted with each other on a daily basis sort of affirmed the respect and value you had for each other. You know, we were, we were the worst of ever actually giving each other compliment unless we were six or seven beers in. But uh, and the Dutch carriage is fired up and there's plenty of headlocks and I love you mans but uh <laughs> but yeah it was just that you know perfect uh, environment of you know mutual respect and support and what happens when it all went quiet out there but that's it you're always you know I always had a team always had people I was responsible for mm. I always had you know you always lived and worked and around each other and it is you know literally being left at home you know, that's why I thank God I have a dog and that's why I keep saying any guy or girl who gets out of defence and for once in their life has the potential to be literally the only person at home having something that is unconditionally loving and completely reliant on you uh, is is huge. It's a huge uh, proactive and preventative mental health uh, asset. And I know other people struggle with this concept anyway, just being alone or being in silence. Is there anything that you do to start to practice that? Because it's not something that can just happen overnight. It's often a lot, a long journey to get comfortable in your own self and, and your own company. Is there something that you've been doing since transitioning out of this culture to start to get comfortable with who you are? Well, it's actually just been realising that. Again, it's just been realising that I do still have that element of uncomfortability by myself because in particular when it does go all quiet, that's when I actually start getting resentful that, you know, people who I think are friends or might show interest in are not reaching out and engaging me and very very quickly it can turn to resentment as opposed to, you know, I even did the other day, you know, this, I called up a couple of people and I was just like, hey, look, you know, <laughs> I kind of like really enjoyed hanging out with you and I haven't heard from you since, what's going on? And they're like, oh, I had like no idea, why don't you tell me? And I was like, oh, I just have. They're like, cool, well, let's hang out. I was like, oh. Communication, 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 communication is so key. But 
you know, again, as per has been the whole narrative, like don't be the only, don't let yourself be the only person holding yourself back. That's not just in achieving accomplishments, that's in establishing community and social life and supporting yourself in whatever you need. Just don't rely on others to, or have the expectation of others to understand what you need, communicate it, uh, or get out there and do it yourself. And I have definitely proactively made sure that I've avoided situations where there are sort of like my prolonged time by, by myself. But again, that's why I have my dog. I go for a walk. I go to the gym. That's that time to really factor in self-development and self-care, which to be honest has been one of the things I've really been struggling with. I need to better establish my self-care, my fitness routine and regime and become more um, self-motivated in investing in my own physical and mental health in doing so yeah and how can i keep you accountable oh that's a good question starting tomorrow is like straight back into fitness this next week is like you know i've, I've tried to recommence my fitness kick stretch a few times now yeah i've signed up to a an app that each day i have to do like a range of movement uh, through to i need to get back into like doing morning cardio you know i sort of procrastinate too much in the mornings and be that taking copper for a walk or going doing my fasted cardio through to actually sticking to my meal plan, you know, feeling like I have a bit more control over the structure of what is going into everything else that helps fuel my mental and emotional health. Uh, going back to basics is is the key, and you'll be able to hold me accountable. <laughs> Will do. Yeah. Um. Okay. So in terms of direction of where you might be heading right now, what are you what are you struggling with? Uh, patience is always that struggle and again we've been doing so much good work in this planning up to the next phase of voice of a veteran whereas you know then at the same time uh, and you i'll be i'll be honest with you there's been a bunch of people from current politicians and political parties through to some that are wanting to re-raise and hitting me up to be a part of their number as we approach an election year and you know, all sorts of flattery. And you also get about 10 messages a day being yeah. like, Heston for PM. Politics, politics, <laughs> politics. And, you know, this is the part of me, you know, looking to jump to the safe, you know, top-down approach, having the authority and this, that and the other. And, you know, then I see things like have been going on this last couple of weeks with, you know, Australians stranded overseas, still like no internet, still no national quarantine facility. You know, ever since day one this happened, you know, February last year I was talking about even using cruise ships off the coast through to converting um, military um, air force bases into uh, landing and quarantine facilities. You know, the fact that we're still here in Brisbane and Sydney, we have you know, hotel quarantine in cities where the, the chance for transmission is wild. We have 8,000 Australians in India being told they can't come home. You know, this is stuff that it just grinds against my absolute core. And then I hear all these conversations about the, the drums of war beating with China, and I sit there going, I do not want to have these people potentially responsible for the families of the lives of my family, myself, my loved ones, and other Australians. You know, I know I can do a better job in there. Uh, that's the sort of stuff that's been weighing on my head and wanting to get involved with that. But then my head goes to the, the opportunities we have here with the veteran community, with this Royal Commission, and really proactively supporting the people that are at the core of my community and those that. You know, I really am intrinsically um, wedded to wanting to support and also the opportunity to help really set the foundations for the veterans and veteran community and families to go from this sort of survival 
um, perception to really thriving. And then in the grand scheme of things, should the drums of war with any large country come through, is it more important to have a fully energised and mobilised and positive and proactive mindset veteran and family community? You know, we're talking, you know, five, six hundred thousand people, um, even though it's not going to be affecting directly that many, but just having that core nucleus, and you've heard it so myself, you know, people like myself and veterans who've been specially trained by the military should be excelling outside of service because we've been trained to deal with this situation. So to jump into the top down, you know, having having a government payroll to be able to employ staff and actually achieve all this without any of these business concerns and fundraising and all that sort of stuff and be able to actually, you know, not be shut out by these people who simply refuse to have meetings with us and stuff like that. Or, you know, do the hard yards and maintain the ground-up approach um, and commit to doing that and push any political aspirations aside. And, you know, I had to sort of stop myself coming to, you know, is it, is it wanting to prove myself to jump into the politics piece? But it's not. It's trying to really identify where the true potential to achieve maximum achievement on purpose is. And I, I don't know that answer, but the best part is taking sort of stock of the political friends we've gained along the way, you know, the people who have literally supported us and identified the true and authentic purpose. You know, that's been the, the Jackie Lambies, the, the Pauline Hansons, the One Nation Party, you know, were pivotal in bringing about this uh, Royal Commission with that vote in the Senate through to, you know, those politicians on both sides of the government who, you know, the whole Labor Party stood up to support this. And then, you know, you've heard me say before the the Lou O'Briens, the Barnaby Joyces, those who are literally willing to cross the floor to do this and appreciating that as long as they're still in politics, we still have friends to do this. And where are the things that only I can do? You know, if we have others there who can do that, are there others who can do what we're trying to do here with this ground up piece? There, there are, and we need to bring them all together, but that's probably where that non-duplicatable, non-replicable capability sits, so... It's kind of frustrating because it's the hard way to do it. <laughs> you know, have to worry about things like selling pins to raise money and <laughs> make sure we are, you know, getting our accounting correct and Heston's not saying things like fundraising on Paul Murray and, oh, you know, it's, it's hard. But that's where I've just got to put my hand up and ask for help and ask for support. And as you've seen, Sam, actually take some people up on the support that's been offered, you know, to swallow that bit of... I don't know, it's some pride that comes in, you know, thinking that we should just be successful and actually appreciating that, no, it's a, a hard, long road and the only way we can get it is by being authentic. <laughs> and it's weak. It's not weakness, it's authentic, It's a vulnerability, isn't it? You know, yeah. going back to these one-on-one conversations. So, yeah, that's my, my head set. My head gets so jumps up to the strategic very quickly and seeing all that's going on and wanting to be able to really affect true change across so many different levels. But... It's really identifying, again, where my capabilities are best supplied for lasting change. So. What is that purpose that's driving you forward and to, to help determine which one which path to choose? I think, as you've, you've known me a few years before this, Sam, and even back then we were having conversations about like potentially launching like a, a mental, train, mental health training thing. It's all about, it's about unlocking people's true potential. And I guess the whole thing for me is to be able to set the conditions whereby the next generation of people is able to grow up not having to unlock their true potential, just being able to realise their true potential because there's not all of these barriers in place and these mindsets in place and this feeling small and significant like you can't change things. Really having that, like that mindset I have at the moment literally is like there is nothing that can't be achieved. You just have to figure out how to do it. 
You know, it's not a magic formula. It's hard work. It's finding the right people. It's doing things for the right reason and trying to really instill that. And the only way you can do that through cultural change is leadership by example and trying to figure out how I can gain best exposure leading by example to hopefully help others to be able to feel to do the same, you know. And it's all about providing hope. That's this whole thing comes down to having people focus at things with more hope and optimism as opposed to, to hatred and suppression. <laughs> and as you, as you bring about hope, you draw out plenty of haters and we've gone through that. And, you know, it draws me back to so much where it's even the start of last year, I really thought that the future for me was actually going to be over in the US. You know, I spent so, many time, so much time over there professionally with their military and then personally um, when in my relationships over there. And just seeing the different mindset where people were so much more supportive and optimistic of each other, whereas over here we're so much more condescending and tall poppy cutting. And, but that's just from what you get to see when you actually scratch the layer and put in the hard work. Australians are just so much more quiet in coming forward and supporting and really wanting to bring more of that out, helping people be more supportive of each other as opposed to, I don't know. There just seems to be higher walls to climb. Like, I heard a quote recently and it was like, haters are just confused admirers. <laughs> and it just, it's just, there's a, there's a higher water climb. Or, you know, people are, there's, there's drive, I think, there's drive and potential in so many people that is kept locked away. And yeah. when they see people out there doing the things that they potentially want to do or it's shining a light on the things that they're not doing, I think it just brings up stuff. Yeah, that's it. Like, you've seen so much hate's coming out by people, you know. <laughs> Even this whole, you know, he's just feathering his own nest for politics. It's like, well, if I need to do politics, like, why not? But as I've said to you, personally, that is the last thing I want to do. I, I just couldn't abide by that routine of, like, going down to Canberra and sitting there with bells ringing and I literally think it would be bad for me personally. Mm. Um, you Given know, how much it triggers when you're sitting in the... Oh, yeah. watching them argue and fight at each other and see them. I swear to God, there's... Half the people in Canberra are people that were picked on at school or like didn't have many friends. The way they attack each other. And also, even then, they openly admit, oh, no, that's just the way we do it. You know, when we're in Parliament and the cameras are rolling and then we carry on fine outside. Like, it's the most inauthentic shit I've ever seen. Mm. You know, and even, as you know, Sam, what I mean. And as leaders of the Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we could go on for hours. You know, the fact that. Where I was taught my leadership 101 is just down the road at and for an RMC and then I get in there and it's fantastic to see some of those great natural leaders and really those true and authentic people. But then, you know, watch others who, you know, even when you go and have a conversation with them, they don't even have enough confidence to sit with me by themselves. I have to bring in one or two staffers and you spend half the time talking with them. Like it's just fascinating. And, you know, that's it. Cultural change. Everyone's like, you know, you can't do it from the outside. You've got to do it from the inside. It's just prioritising. Prioritising, prioritising, prioritising. And as opposed to continuously getting ahead of myself, is focusing on what the immediate objectives are. And that is supporting our people and this Royal Commission and making sure we harness every opportunity to maximise the potential for this, to get all the grievances out, to hold those systemic failings accountable and to reshape and remodel this for the future generation. You know, if that's all that we're able to achieve, then I can, you know, die happy with that. Everything else... Um, is a is a be prepared to, and it's just my need to focus on that. And I know you're passionate about mental health, mental fitness, people's well being. Yeah. And also, you're so aware of what didn't occur during things like the Broden Report. So, what do you yeah. see needs to occur during the Royal Commission? Well, that's it. That's is you. 
we've engaged with um, DVA and we'll be engaging with the Attorney General's Department to even have a consent form or a consent tick for people when they do come forward and provide submissions that we can then um, reach out to them. And it's not just having someone reach out to them, it's maintaining a volunteer database of people who are already volunteering with us to try and match up, you know, like-for-like people, you know, young veterans from same units or same cause or same experiences, same with family members, and have that proactive follow-up, you know, the day after, the week after, the month after, ongoing, having community events, bringing people together, helping to push out these conversations so that person maybe isn't the person that has to have those conversations with their family or friends because there's already something out there in the media helping people understand things that are being covered in this Royal Commission and where it's at and how to potentially support people they know who are engaging with this. That proactive net, continuously pushing actively and passively and engaging the veteran community to get involved and then link in with potential communities in doing so. Um, that's it. It, it just takes, it takes work, it takes effort. But just sitting there and doing like what I received, you know, the, the fridge magnet, hey, if anything pops up later or, you know, you feel triggered by, call this number. It doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't happen. And you know what? The best thing we could do is just start to build that system now with the smallest point of difference we can make in this in this Royal Commission with this like focused and concentrated effort that's taken so long to do and we'd just be so stupid to waste any opportunities. And also... I feel like it's good to start where there's uh, energy of hope. Yeah. Like, you know how you're talking about often at wait, you wait until crisis until you go, oh, I don't have a support net or I should do something. It's like yeah. we often wait until it's too late to do something about creating change. And if you can create that ecosystem now with when there's hope and positivity, then you have more of a chance of people reaching out during the hard times. Absolutely. And as you know, Sam, the biggest part here is trying to bring back more hope and positivity because yeah. we still can't, you know, I attended a, Andrew Hasty came and did a great presentation out at the Redcliffe RSL and, you know, he really, uh, I was quite impressed by the strategic focus he had and it was great talking that big picture and as you've heard me say before, if you want higher performance, you need a higher purpose. I think he did so well communicating that and I learned a few things there sitting and listening to him. But then he opened it up to an hour's worth of questions from those on the floor and all that he got was anger and resentment from people who talked about their experience with DVI and transitioning from defence and, you know, not even within his portfolio, but he's that's the that's the the current attitude within the majority of the veteran community. And unless we give them a chance to get it out there, to pour it into this royal commission, to have their voices and their stories not only heard but acted upon, then we're not going to be able to bring that hope, that optimism, that positivity into this. And we're just going to be perpetuating more negativity. We're going to be, you know, perpetuating the current narrative that sees so many um, in wider society see veterans as victims and surviving. Whereas they need to be thriving, they need to cast aside feeling entitled and be responsible and show the Australian public how great we are and that only comes with this healing process that we need, accountability, and then uniting together as communities to, to progress and push forward. So that's this opportunity that we, we're focusing on now. And what is the role of the veteran community in this? Maximum engagement into the Royal Commission itself learning how to do that and you know we'll be pushing out information but it's proactively getting out there and engaging on the attorney general's website and passing on information you know we all have social media channels we all have mouths to have these conversations touching base with the mates to see if they have contributed to it if they have how they're doing reporting back in helping us find them services finding them services themselves 
just doing what doing what needs to be done, as is our catch cry, doing what needs to be done from a place of thinking, hey, if it was you, you know, what would you like to happen? You know, don't leave that person, you know, to fall into the trap that we all do of not communicating it. Be proactive in reaching out to them. Yeah, because if you're thinking it, then someone else is probably thinking it too. Amen, that's it. And also from somebody who's not a veteran, I know we get so many even DMs and, and messages and emails like how do we support, what do we do, we have family members, if we have people we know, if we don't know anyone but we just care, <laughs> what? how do we support the, this process? Well, that's it. It's engaging having those conversations and having the conversations to listen as opposed to looking to treat and care um, or, sorry, and provide, you know, services and care. Sometimes most of us just need to have a conversation <laughs> and forcing us to have those conversations and just watching out for those signs and symptoms. And, you know, when we launch... We'll, de- we'll definitely make sure we launch uh, resources, you know, via all of our social media streams and podcasts and everything else to help people uh, be identified where they can reach in and actually access services and support. But it's just maintaining connection and communication. That's where that community and culture comes from. What is giving you hope right now? Ah, uh, getting together in this room on Friday, and you know, having a bunch of people who probably don't like each other tear strips off each other and plans and then hopefully come together and build it back up. You know, I'm genuinely looking forward to that, not in a um, confrontational way, but, you know, that's where some of the best planning comes from, you know, actually getting out there and not just being yes and no men or women, but having good, hard, constructive conversations. Shirts uh, off in the gravel. Sh- <laughs> Have you heard that? No. <laughs> Shirts off in the gravel. Yeah, right. Is that like the mud pit wrestling? I don't know. That's <laughs> kind of weird. Gravel sounds <laughs> rashy. Okay, cool. Sam, while I got to on here, one other thing I really need to work on is uh, what have I been struggling with? What have I really been struggling with that you can help me with? Oh, you know this. Trying to actually like commercialise, trying to make money. <laughs> the internal balance yeah. of trying to. So for many people who don't know, you know, Voice of Veteran again has been a self-funded venture. We've tried to sell some pins for a third time. I'm still getting twitching. Twitchy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we had some incredible people come forward and provide contributions and uh, a whole part of this process has been trying to also lead by example in being so true and focused on what little resources can be going to be achieved with little and focused resource. And since we've launched, I think Voice of Veterans cost about $140,000 all up. Um, and I look forward to publishing our books to people. But it's been fascinating to realise what can be done when the focus is not on money. And I hate fundraising. I hate all that because even when you're worried about your own salary, you know, you're still having that 1% or 2% part of your brain that's being held back by something that is otherwise should otherwise be put towards 100% effort. Uh, and as you know, Sam, the issue that happens is that, you know, there's been even a few brands and all this sort of stuff who've come forward wanting me to represent and ambassador things for them, but I just can't find that comfort in being seen to try and make any money in my personal life while this has been going on. You know, it's been a very interesting self-internal dialogue and struggle, uh, feeling selfish, trying to <laughs> not make millions, but just actually try and make money that <laughs> means I don't have to live with my mum's. <laughs> but as you've seen, like the veteran community is savage, you know, and as soon as people think that you're out there trying to make money, as opposed to even just trying to make money to live, it's not something that I want to bring into this conversation. I think that's why we need to wait for this new organisation to kick up. But you get to see it behind the curtains, behind the messages, behind everything. It's It really is a struggle. And the veteran community is so geared 
through experience of unfortunately too many ex-service organizations like taking money and not seeing it put to services they don't you know realize that these things actually like take money to cost and run you can't just be making money from sales and giving it straight over to other veterans like you have to actually fund people's wages you have to fund you know websites and crm and uh boosting posts and paying for postage and all these sorts of things so it's i've never really had to worry about finances so much in my life and now well we didn't start off with you know it was just such a true and authentic gung-ho i didn't care i was just paying for it all and now we're sort of getting to that point of like oh crap you know need to start thinking about doing some more public speaking to make some money to bring things in and trying to put myself out there as as a, as a brand or as a product is the most extreme point of discomfort that has just been something avoiding and Sam's been the one trying to help convince me to do that. I can like fully see your body language just like curling in a I ball am, right now. Oh, it's terrible. I <laughs> but even also I see it from my perce- my perception and my lens from this whole time has said that I've been confused and like how is he so selfless? Like how is he not worried about – like you, you do it with so much grace because there's never resistance. There's never – like you do literally – everything for free you're going and you're like how do i serve how can i do more like you're just you're not even you're just doing what needs to be done and it's that's the value yeah that's so nourishing our perspective it's so selfless and it's so funny to hear the struggle that you go through of selfishness and selflessness when we don't like i don't i'm speaking for what collectively me (laughs) i don't (laughs) you know it's so it's really inspiring that you do this and i think that it is a battle in your own head and Whoever needs to judge that is yeah. their their shit, not yours. It probably comes from particularly that part where I got out of the military and like threw myself into Barry's and all that, and you know things became a lot more measured on finances, you know, and like the quality of life and that sort of lifestyle I started to live became very selfish, and that was my whole spiral to a very very bad place, uh, as we all know. So I think there's probably like some emotional triggering or just some you know bad memories like literally not having to worry about finances over this last six weeks just knowing that we're going to cost whatever it's going to cost to make it happen has been so nourishing but now we're at to the point where we have to like consider (laughs) actually bringing in some money and things like that it's brought back this level of uncertainty where having to focus on finances anyway is something that i never want to be able to have to do properly so i mean that's going into part of this planning for the next phase of this business but yes and and there's always I always think about good people that have money do good things and there's so many people out there that don't have the purpose and the drive and the intentions that you have out there and so even if we just looked at Heston Russell as himself that I keep trying to remind you of that what you have to offer the world is so valuable and you can't put a price on that stuff. And so we have to kind of get to a point where well, if anyone, you're out there doing this stuff. If and anyone has a corporate, wants me to come in and do a <laughs> workshop, do a speech, you know, not a speech. I prefer workshops. I prefer interactive. Give us a message. You'll go to the website. <laughs> Sam's been trying to help me out with that. But, you know, Sam, I had this conversation with you before we came aboard. You know, we sort of discussed at least your salary and how we're going to cater for that to give you that job security. And, I said it to you back then, you know, you do something for the right reason. What I have learned is that, you know, you'll find a way um, to sustain yourself. And this has been so sustainable at all those mental and emotional levels that I've needed coming from where I was and our community has needed. And, uh, you know, there's then opportunities to, you know, look outside of that in my own time once I get my own time back, once we then again build a team 
that can actually carry some of this workload um, forward. So, again, I think it's sort of part of everything we've been saying here. It's kind of putting it in a bit more of a patient timeline and realising that, well, first and foremost, actually getting real and saying, hey, that is a need, as opposed to just glazing over it and, you know, putting it in the, in the selfless pile. It's like, no, look, because particularly when it starts to impact on other things like your family and, you know, corporate finances and things like that, that's when it's like, look, you're actually – your selflessness is actually being irresponsible. Sure. Yeah. So I think that's all part of the next couple of months. Mm. Yeah. And I also think it really served a purpose in the beginning of getting this off the yeah. ground because it brought us on the mission. It yeah. brought me onto your mission. Yeah, that's it. It brought, like, the public on with the mission because it was so – authentically fueled by something so deep within you that yeah. everyone wanted to back you in that way. I think that served its purpose. Like, because yeah. you had, there was just, n- there was just no resistance. Like I was confused. I was like, I don't even know how this is happening, but this is just on fire because of, of how you, of, of where you were coming from. Yeah. And that's where I really, really enjoyed that, you know, before we were twitching, selling pins or anything. Now there's just that element of doubt that's crept into the mindset, you know, particularly with just having to pursue financial sustainment that mm. has created this uncertainty that I don't like. So it's just, yeah. again, being more deliberate and structured in that and helping to remove that again. Yeah. Anyway, this sounds a bit quite self-serving towards the end of this, but it's good to have these conversations. No, but again, yeah. naming it. Like, people don't talk about stuff that's hard and people don't talk about stuff that might bring up this, this emotion and that's what I love about you, that you're willing to bring this stuff to the surface yeah. and name it because it's – reality it's the world we live in like we don't we don't want to put out this like concept that everything's perfect Definitely like it's not, not. and we're human and you're human and you're doing great things and we get to talk about some we hard stuff we are human yeah well look we're here with sam it's going to be a big week and by the time you hear this podcast um there might be a, a few things you can look back and reflect upon otherwise we'll be releasing them the next week but stay tuned um, again. And send through your questions. Send through those questions uh, either via social media or via hello at Voice of a Veteran. Please go on and have a look at some of the previous episodes. There's a lot that you can look back through whether you're looking for self-motivation, fitness tips, men- mental and mindset tips. You can hear from people like Tony Abbott, Ian Thorpe about their transitions in their life, You know, going from huge high profiles down to their own quiet moments and back again. There's a whole repertoire of great stories and experiences and individuals on the Voice of a Veteran podcast episodes now. So head online, again, voiceofaveteran.org slash podcast, and you can actually cruise and view them there. There's a lot more also of the videos on our YouTube, Voice of a Veteran YouTube. Please give us a rating, leave comments, send your questions through. It's a pleasure actually interacting with you and speaking on conversations and topics that you want to hear and always open to and really appreciate your feedback. And thank you so much for your support. Until next time. Thanks, Sam. See ya. See ya.